We are in a study of 1 Timothy, and, and we said that uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 is a key verse. But in the case I am delayed, I write that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. We, we talked about a couple weeks ago, we exist to promote and to proclaim, but to protect truth. The, the reality is that everything that we do as a church really revolves around the gospel. It revolves around the, the doctrine, the, the truth of the gospel, of who God is, of who we are, that we have been entrusted, as you see Paul right there to Timothy. We are to guard the gospel, and sometimes that involves dealing with false teachers, engaging false teachers, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. I want to say thank you to Tony Sauls. I think he stepped out with Killian there, but for preaching last week in my absence and, and, and did a great job. And I'm grateful to have somebody like that to step in from, one, from amongst us. But two weeks ago, we talked about specifically protecting and proclaiming truth as means of guarding the gospel. And we begin to see today in verse 8, Paul continuing that thought here and specifically dealing with engaging two false teachers. And, and these were individuals, hear me, that were... Many, many commentators believe that, that Hymenaeus and Alexander were elders in the church. They were leaders in the church. These are individuals that knew better. These are individuals that may, maybe they would be likened to some of us. They, maybe they grew up hearing the truths and yet they made a shipwreck of their faith. The reason why we proclaim these truths, the reason why we make a big deal about the gospel, the reason why we continue to teach, try to teach sound doctrine is because I don't want any of us to be standing where Hymenaeus and Alexander were, where we've made a shipwreck of our faith. Where we've abandoned the, the gospel for lies. Where, where we get to the point where we begin abusing and distorting this word for our own good rather than for the glory of God. All of those are out there today. The reality is this. If we lose the gospel, we lose everything as believers. Hear that. If we lose the gospel, it's gone. Everything about what we're doing here is gone. Paul said, if Christ was not raised from the dead, we who have hoped in Christ are men who are to be pitied. Pitied. Not, not applauded for leading moral lives, not, a, you know, not applauded for going down. Look, the reason we took 20 of us and we went down to Pasitos last week was because of the gospel. It wasn't to do humanitarian aid. It wasn't just to come alongside. It was because of the gospel. If we lose the gospel, the truth of the gospel, we, lo we lose everything. We, we spent the whole month of December helping us to see that the gospel was our only hope. The only hope that we have for being saved from the penalty and the condemnation and the wrath that is due our sins is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul, that leads us into what Paul says today and specifically regarding how we handle the word, how we handle the law. And, and there, there are two truths on your, on your handout that I want us to see this morning regarding grasping and knowing and handling the law and why the law and and really the, the essence of, of Jesus Christ coming. And, and the first thing you'll see on your handout, Paul deals specifically with the law. With the law. Why, why the law? What, what role, what function does the law have? And he tells us the purpose of the law was to prove that every human being is guilty of sin and are worthy of God's condemnation for that sin and thus eternally separated from a holy God because of our sin. That, that's the message that the law provides. And there is a right way and there is a wrong way to approach the word, to handle the word, to, to approach the law, to, to, to explain how a person is made right with God. And what these false teachers were saying was that, that through the law, through keeping of the law, a person could be saved, a person could be made right with God if you just did, if you were good enough. If you did enough good things, ultimately they were glorifying self. 
Ultimately, it was making much of the sinner and, and less of Christ. It was just, hey, pull up your bootstraps and do more, do more. If you just try harder, listen, listen to, and, and, and it, was, it was a very externally performance-based thing. It was all about the externals, and it, it never dealt with the heart. Listen, listen to what he says, Jesus says about these, even the Pharisees who, who were mistreating the law. Look at what he says, and listen, in Matthew 23, 23 through or 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Those are strong words. People speak like that today, people, people accuse them of being unbiblical or ungodly, and yet Jesus Christ, numerous times, calls these enemies, these false teachers, hypocrites, snakes. Strong words. Why? Because the gospel is precious. And they were abusing God's word. They were abusing the law. They were, they were misguiding. They were misleading people into places that they ought not to be. And, and Paul says it very clearly. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person. God didn't give this law. He didn't give this for a law, righteous person. He gave this because we're unrighteous. And the law, you see on your handout... Point A, the law was intended to reveal guilt among everyone as sinners. You come to the law, you try to keep the law, you try to do good enough, the only verdict you're ever going to get is guilty. Guilty. Because you're a sinner. You cannot be good enough. And the law is good. Some people would say, well, the, the law, the, re, we're going to show in a minute in Romans 7, they'd say, well, the law is bad. No, no, the law is very good in doing what it was intended to do. And the law, what the law does is exposes every single one of us as sinners. The law exposes the character of God. And if you were to go to Matthew 5, we'll go there in a minute. He says, if, if you're going to go to heaven, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. He's saying it's got to be more than externals. The law is good in that. Listen, what, the law, what the law reminds us and really makes us aware of is this. The, the Bible is very clear about who we are apart from Christ and in our sin. Listen, listen to what it says in Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. As it is written, he, he says, first of all, we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. All under sin. Nobody gets a free pass for their heritage. Nobody gets a free pass for their lineage. Nobody gets a free pass because their mom or dad did this or that, whatever. You're all under sin, as it is written. Listen to what it says. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and mercy are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's God's verdict on you and me before a holy God. You and I as sinners, apart from Christ, we stand before a holy God. Here's, here's the verdict, guilty. It's an all or nothing deal. And, and until we grasp this, we don't fully grasp our need for a Savior. Because if I'm pretty good, I don't really need a Savior, I just need help. But if I'm really bad, I, I need help. If I realize that I'm drowning and I can't rescue myself, I can't swim to shore on my own, I need a Savior. Galatians 1, I need to be rescued. We, while we were in the Dominican, there's, there's a young girl there, Francesca, 16 years old. 
been diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And while we were there, Dalma had, had to go down and, and, and sit with her and explain to her the, the depth and the, 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 the really the, the depth of the cancer. Up to that point, she did, not, she did not fully understand. They had not made her aware. And that's a hard conversation. And yet a very needed conversation and necessary conversation. And until we realize the depth of our sin, that you're not just kind of a sinner, you don't just commit sins, you commit sins because you're a sinner. It's not vice versa. At your heart, you're a sinner. In your heart, you're a sinner. The, the, the well that is producing your life is polluted. It's not producing kind of clean water. It's producing sinful, dirty, nasty, wretched water. Isaiah 64, 6, it says that even our deeds that are done in righteousness are but filthy rags in the face of a holy God. So here's the point. You're, the best you have to offer God is filthy rags. That's your best. And, and again... I'm getting to the good news. This is the bad news. But we got to understand the bad news. Otherwise, Jesus is just a little helper. He's not really a rescuer. He just kind of cleans up a little corner of my life versus cleans up my entire life. We're sinners. To the core, Romans 3.19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that, listen to this, every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because, listen, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Every single mouth is shut up before a holy God in, in trying to justify yourself, make yourself right before him. No, no, guilty. Guilty. And that was the whole point. The whole point in God giving the law, revealing himself, was for you to say, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. He, he's, he's dying, the law is diagnosing you just like Francesca was diagnosed with cancer. That's not a fun thing to be diagnosed with. But listen, now that we know it, we can try to treat it. And, and pray for wisdom Lee and, and some others are, are looking into some opportunities to try to get Francesca to America to try to, you know, maybe receive some treatment opportunities here that, that wouldn't be available to her in the Dominican. Pray for wisdom. We don't know what that's going to offer. But at least pray for wisdom there and for opportunities. But the law was given, you see it on your handout, the law was given so that we would abandon any attempt on our own to justify ourselves we would realize, I can't measure up. The law was given, Romans 7, so that we would not be blind to our own sin. He says in Romans 7, 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive, Apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You say, well, what was the purpose of the law? Think about an x-ray machine. Sometimes you go to the doctor and you've got a problem and you know your, your bones are aching. Matthew got diagnosed recently, Matthew Ray, with a stress fracture in his back. You, you go under an x-ray machine and the x-ray machine looks over your entire body. He gets the the x-ray machine cuts through all the junk that hides, all the junk that disguises, cuts down to the bone and shows you exactly what you look like. And listen, an x-ray machine only diagnoses a problem. An x-ray machine is used to diagnose a problem so that you'll know specifically what the problem is. You'll know specifically what bone is broken, specifically what, 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 what maybe muscle is torn. 
But an x-ray machine was never given. It was never intended to fix the problem. It only diagnoses the problem. Here's what an x-ray machine does. It gives you wisdom on where to look to cure the problem. An x-ray machine force, gives you the right information, the right diagnosis about your problem, and it causes you to look for someone else to fix the problem. The reason that the law doesn't work in regards to saving somebody beyond the fact that it was never intended to, is because our sin is not just about a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. That's what I'm talking about. The well, the source of the water is broken. That's why Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put my law in your heart and I will cause you to walk into my, in my statutes. We need new hearts. We don't just need cleaned up behavior. We just don't need moralism. We need new hearts. We need heart transplants. Ezekiel 36 says the same thing. Our, our sin issue, the real sin issue, is a heart issue. That's why if you go to Matthew 5, the Pharisees would say, Well, I've never murdered somebody. And Jesus says, Have you ever been angry at somebody? You're guilty of murder. Well, I never, I never slept with somebody's wife that wasn't my wife, so I'm not guilty of adultery. He said, have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Guess what? You're guilty of adultery. It goes way beyond just the behavior. And if we're, if we're not careful, we, we can be real good at saying, well, I've never murdered anybody, yet harboring ill will. I, I've, never, I've never slept with somebody that wasn't my wife, yet you want to. Yet you thought about it. Listen to me, just as guilty. You know what the Bible says? You're an adulterer. You looked at another woman that's not your wife with lust in your heart. You know what the Bible, the verdict is? Adulterer. You thought about stealing, somebody, stealing somebody's stuff that wasn't yours? You're a, you're a thief. You wanted what somebody else has? You, you, you're jealous of them for having what you don't have? You know what the Bible says? You're, a co you're covetous. You worship something more than you worship God? Idolater. In Matthew 22, Jesus, the, the, the man comes and says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He, he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can boil the law down to just those two commandments. Listen to me. Every single person in this room has fallen short of the first one. Never mind the second one. We won't even get to the second one. We won't even get to loving your neighbor. We're guilty at number one. And God's righteousness, listen to me, God's righteousness, is, it's like a hundred question test. And I said, look, you got to get all 100 right in order to pass. And you missed the first question. Guess what? It doesn't matter what you do on the other 99. It's all or nothing. Matthew 5, 48 says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There's nobody in here perfect. What the law does is exactly what it's intended to do is expose that. James 2.10 says, if you break just one commandment, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. It's not a matter of, and, and we want to judge ourselves. Listen, we're all guilty. All guilty. And the problem is this, the law can't change our hearts. And sin flows from a corrupted heart. So not only what the law does, it exposes our sin, but be there, the law, and that should be was, I put as, sorry. The law was intended to lead a person to Christ. The goal of the law was for you to look for another to perform on your behalf. Listen to what Galatians uh, um, 3 says. I wrote down on my notes uh, 5.21, but it's 3.21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Galatians 3.21-24. May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus may be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were being kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later revealed. Therefore, listen, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The, the word there really is pedagogos. In, in that day, individuals would take a young child and they would put their young child under the tutor 
under the leadership, under the authority of an individual. We, we, if you, the, 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 the science of teaching is, is uh, pedagogy or pedagogos, but that, that's the Greek word. And, and it was an individual who would, who would tutor, who would literally raise that child to maturity. And when that child was mature, he would hand that child back to his parents as a mature child, ready to inherit the father's estate and ready to in inherit all that was the father's. That's the picture. The law was to lead us to Christ. The law was to, to lead us to the point where we would say, I cannot, I, cannot, I cannot fulfill that on my own. I cannot be righteous on my own. I cannot be perfect on my own. I need somebody to do it for me. Just like what I said about an x-ray machine. The, the law drives us to Christ. You, you see it in your handout. The law was intended to help us recognize our guilt of sin and utter inability to save ourselves. The fact that, here's what, it, we need a substitute. I need somebody to perform on my behalf. I need somebody to be righteous on my behalf. And anything short of that in approaching the Word of God, anything short of that, any, any teaching that teaches contrary to that is false. When we come to the Word, we, we ought to walk away saying, I desperately need somebody to perform on my behalf. I need Christ. I need Holy Spirit. I need you to do it in me. That's why you see in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Apart from these things, there is no law. That's the Holy Spirit in us. The, 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 the goal of the Christian life was for me to fill myself up with this word and that would fill the Holy Spirit. John 15, 5, apart from me you can do nothing and the Holy Spirit will live this life through me. Therefore, God would get the credit, not me. It's not about me. And, and any study of the word of God that doesn't lead to a glorification of God that doesn't lead to a desperate need and gratitude to God it is a false use of the word in many regards. In, in John, Romans 3.21, he goes on to say, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, that means payment, in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Seeing it was my sin, I deserve to be crucified. I deserve to die. And yet God crucified His Son as a, as a substitute that, that I can look and identify with His death, burial, and resurrection and by faith apply that to my life and thus be saved. Clothed with Christ, as the Bible says. The, the righteousness that God accepts, the righteousness that God demands, the righteousness that is required in order for somebody to gain entrance to heaven is only found in Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ. That's why we've said it before, 2 Corinthians 5.20, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. You see the exchange. I give Christ my sin. In exchange, He gives me His righteousness. When God sees me, when God sees a believer, he, we are clothed with Christ. He sees His Son. He doesn't see my filthy rags that I'm throwing out. He sees His Son. He sees perfection. That's why he says, if anyone was what? In Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things are gone, the new things have come. And we have to recognize this about the law. If you come to the law and think you can be good enough to save yourself, then all you will ever walk away with is a guilty verdict. Guilty. Because we can't keep the law perfectly. And if I or anyone else teaches you anything other than that, they're, they're liars. They're scoundrels. 
And, and I, that's the bad news. And Paul makes it very clear. Until we understand the bad news, we'll never understand the good news. The gospel will not be good news until you realize how desperate you are in sin. Until you realize the depravity, the utter inability to save yourself. If you're swimming in a river and you honestly think you can save yourself and somebody throws you a raft and they pull you in, you know what you're going to walk away thinking? Eh, I appreciate it, kind of, but I could have saved myself. But yet, if you know that you can't save yourself, your gratitude for that raft goes way up. Bad news, you can't save yourself. Good news, Christ can. Christ is enough. And that's the second point, what Paul says. The purpose of Christ coming to earth was to make a way for sinners to be saved from God's condemnation and wrath due to their sin. Paul makes that very clear, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. It's not about Paul. Because he considered me faithful. Again, this is all about God, all about Christ. Putting me into service. All about grace. Even though, listen, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorant in the unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love of which are found in Christ Jesus. Key statement, verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Why did Jesus Christ come? Not to help out righteous people. Not to give you and I a boost. To save sinners. To save sinners. Not just people who dabble in sin. To save terminally ill sinners. Mark 2.17 says the same thing. He says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The sick need a doctor. God didn't send His Son to save the healthy. He sent His Son to save the sick. And Paul, look at the, the, the language that Paul uses here is unbelievable. You do not hear people talking like this today. He says, of whom I am the foremost of all. Another translation says, of whom I am the chief. Here's one thing you're never going to hear Paul arguing about, if he was really a sinner or not. Yeah, you're never going to hear Paul arguing on the, on the depth of his sin, trying to minimize it. We, we, we live in a day and a time when language and confession, like what Paul puts forth here, will get you medicated and counseled. I'm, I'm serious. You don't, you don't hear people talking like that. You don't hear people arguing over who's the worst sinner. Whose life required the greatest amount of grace to be saved? You know what we argue about? Who was better? That's what we argue about. And, and, and we live in a day and time about self-esteem and self-worth and self-this and self-that. You look at how many words in our dictionary and our language begin with the word self. Guess who it's about? It's about you and me. It's not about the glory of God. And, and, and we've, we've elevated the worm. We've elevated the sinner. And when you elevate the sinner, guess what you do? You de-elevate God who saved the sinner. If you came and, and said, hey, Chris, I want to pay off your mortgage. Well, guess what? If my mortgage was $8,000, okay. I mean, give me enough time. I can work that off. Suppose my, suppose my mortgage was $20 million. If, if we're honest... A lot of us have fallen in the trap of thinking that our sin debt was 8000 when really it was unfathomable. That's why you have in Matthew 18 the, the gentleman who was forgiven this little debt, and then he, this huge debt, and then he goes and throws a guy in prison for a little debt. We've got to realize that the debt that God forgave us due to our sin was un. We could not pay that off ourselves, and no amount of good works. No amount of church attendance, none of that junk that we offer in, in, in motivated by self is going to pay off the debt. It's all Christ. It's, I mean, now certainly we offer that stuff in gratitude. That's Romans 12. But if you're, if, you're doing, if you're here today thinking you're appeasing God or paying Him off, listen, even the air you breathe right now is indebted to God. And so while you're supposedly paying off your debt, you're incurring more debt. It's like... Put our national debt up there and the thing's just spinning off the chart. That, that'd be a picture of grace. 
That'd be a picture of our debt to God, do grace. We're sinners. We're wretched sinners. And, and God in His holiness, listen, there is wrath coming due to that sin. And there's two choices. You can stand, and you can stand before the judge in your own strength and on your own merit, and, and you can try to justify yourself. And listen to me, you know what you're going to walk away with? A guilty verdict, and the wrath of God due all sin is going to fall upon you, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. No man will be justified by works of the law. Very clear. Or you can stand before God when you die and, and you, can, you can state one name, Jesus Christ. And you can look to His death, burial, and resurrection as proof that your sin deserved, even demanded punishment and yet Jesus Christ took that punishment as your substitute. Not arguing about your sin, not self-justifying your sin, realizing that you're an utter sinner, in, unable, unable to save yourself, and yet Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do. The, the problem is self. What Paul, got, what Paul is dealing with here is, is he's talking about all the verses that deal with crucifying self. Self is my enemy, it's not my friend. Listen to what he says in... In Luke 9, 23 and 24, there's a bunch of them here. I won't read them for the sake of time. But he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Forever who, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what, is it a profit, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. You go to Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who gave himself up for me. He goes on to say in verse 21, For if there was a way for you to be made righteous apart from Christ, guess what he says? He says, Then Christ died needlessly. If you and I could make our way to heaven on our own, God is a very mean, nasty father for crucifying his son unnecessarily. Paul says it himself, if, if, if man can be justified on his own, Christ died needlessly. We need Christ. He's our everything. You see how he's our only hope. And, and what we see in the Bible, you see it in your handout, and a proper use of God's law is you walk away desperate. Desperate for somebody to perform on your behalf. And the, the proper use of God's law, you see, it brings about a deep conviction about your sin, especially before a holy God. Paul, Paul had no reservation, no, he was not going to argue about the depth of his sin. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He knew there was nothing worth boasting about in his flesh. He knew, I need a Savior. Martin Lloyd Jones in a Martin Lloyd Jones in a in a commentary on Romans. Listen to what he says about the depth of our sinfulness and the response to to Bible teaching and seeing the Bible as it is. He says, "You are not a Christian unless you have been made speechless before God the Judge regarding your sin. You are not a Christian unless you have been made speechless before God the Judge regarding your sin. How do you know whether you are a Christian or not?" You stop talking. You stop arguing on whether you start arguing about the depth of your sin. You stop making light of your sin. You stop trying to justify yourself. Why? Because you realize that Jesus Christ totally justified you if you'll place your faith and trust in him. No, no different than you and I. If someone sinned against us, you know how you can tell real. Real, real repentance and real remorse, they don't make excuses. They simply stand before you and they say, I'm sorry. I messed up. They don't say it was because of this and that or this and that. You know, little kids, you know what they do when they get caught? You know what they say? Well, he made me do it. Or you made me do it. 
It's always someone else's fault. When we walk away from this word, you know, when we walk away from this word and, and, and it's like a mirror and we really see who we are, we, we stop talking. But not only that, we start praising. Because we're grateful for the work of a Savior who would do that for us. I thought about illustrating that. You ever been in a situation, and, and, and I thought about this while I was in the Dominican because I don't speak the language, and I'm well... I um, uh, talking about being desperate for another. I, I one we 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 bought a bunch of food while we were down there, and we bagged it up and went into the community and and passed it out. And there's a whole bunch of cool stories that Dalma shared there. But I go with two guys that I do not know. Um, they were given one was a score missionary, so obviously there was a level of trust, but still I don't know him. And then I went with a, a Dalma's husband. I don't speak their language. We, we walked into this little room, and, uh, I gave, and there's bars where a guy's standing behind the bars, and I gave this guy a good sum of money to exchange it for pesos. And guy takes the money, he puts it in his pocket, and he says, Hey, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money here. i got to go to my house to get enough to exchange. And I'm thinking, Whoa, ho, 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 hold up. I'm responsible for this. I'm looking at two guys, I'm thinking, oh, what, what, I'm trying my best to, what's going on here? And he says, no, no, Chris, trust me, it's, it's legitimate, it's fine, I know him. I don't know him. I know that guy just got on a motorcycle, on the back of a motorcycle, and just drove off with my money, I know that. And, and, and time went by, and time went by, and I'm standing between these guys, and I'm trying to be cool about it. You know, I'm not trying to say, I doubt you guys, I don't trust you guys, I, mean, I got to spend the next week with you guys. I'm like, that joker better come back. Lucy, you have some explaining to do. Just a minute. Guy showed back up. But, but there was only one way. Listen to me. I was desperate for that, that man to help me. I, I needed a currency that the people there would accept. There was only one way for that to be accomplished. Any, anybody ever been cooking a recipe and, and, and you realize that you don't have the one ingredient that you have to have? I mean, you fly to the grocery store, you're desperate, running through the grocery store. I don't care about it. I need that one thing. There's one thing. Some of you, um, I, I happen to, I happen to my, my helpmate is like this, and so I, I, she understands it. She loves to run the gas tank down to single digits. She loves it. It's like a spiritual gift. And it seems like I'm always the one that's driving her car, when it's, when it's like, not the yellow light, like the red light. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you get in this, you're, there's this sense of desperation. I got to find a gas station. Like, I got to. Quarter of a tank, half a tank, no big deal. My kid, are they carrying at 60 miles, you didn't want to stop? Like, at 40 miles, you don't want to stop? At 20 miles, you don't want to stop? I just don't think about it. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I, we got helpmates. I'm terrible about a million things. She's got one thing to complain about. <laughs> but, but here's the point. That, you get desperate. Because that car ain't going to run without gas. That recipe ain't going to work without that item. I, I thought about this. Parents, how would, and I'm getting somewhere with this. How would you react, parents? If you found out that one of your kid's friends were using him for his stuff. How would you feel if, 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 how would you feel if one of your own kids was using another kid for his stuff? That maybe your kid was having to perform for their friendship and he was falling trapped that, entrapped in that. If... Maybe one of your friend's friends were only a friends with your son or daughter when it was convenient for them. You know, our great danger today is essentially to say to God through our actions and our neglect of study of Him and neglect of church being a priority over other things and neglect of obedience and, and His glory being a priority basically is this, I'll take your salvation and your forgiveness, but I really don't want to know you. 
I'll take your benefits, but I really don't want the relationship. To essentially fall into the thinking that we can use God for His benefits. And then to think, you know, every now and then when it's convenient for us that we can, we can just throw Him some loose change or with our time and our money or our talents and think that He's just up in heaven just clamoring and so grateful that we would do that. When He crucified His Son to buy us out of slavery. To think that we can use God when it's convenient. To think that we can study His Word only when we're in trouble or only when we need something, only when we're desperate. But yet when times are good, where's such and such? Well, he's not in trouble anymore. That, that would be a wrong use of the word. That'd be a wrong understanding of Christianity. My, my, as, I, as I was sitting in the Dominican, you get away and you, you get to think and I asked our group one when we had a little time of worship, and I said, you know, when you go to Pasitos, what do you see? Lots of answers, lots of answers, lots of good answers, but it struck me, and I've been there many times, but it struck me this way like never before. When I go to Pasitos, when I got off that bus and I looked around and I watched, here's what I saw. I saw a God being faithful to who He said He'll be. I see a God who's promised to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. But, but, but I also see a God who has staked his character in some ways, and I say that cautiously, hear me, but has, has said the way that I'm going to do that is through my people. And I thought about my own life. See, it's, it's not a resource problem. Chris Basham don't have a research problem. Chris Basham has a heart problem that leads to an allocation problem. God has staked his character. He says, look, I will take care of the widow. And I see a, a, a place where God is faithful, proving that he's faithful. My, my, my question is this. Might some of us be here today in sort of a casual manner, not really desperate for God? Might, might we approach this time in the Word with an attitude that says something like, you know what, if Chris, if you say something that strikes me, that's good, but if not, no biggie, no big deal. Do you come expectant? Do you come desperate? Might, might some of us settled for moralism? for avoiding the big sins rather than seeing every sin in our life as disgusting and attacking it all on? Might, might some of us be like the Pharisees in approaching the Word where we're more concerned with externals? We're more concerned with what other people think about us or think us to be rather than what God knows us to be? Maybe we think about the gospel as something for a non-believer versus a believer. Maybe it's something that, you know what, I took like a medicine. You know, I took those pills when I was sick. I'm not sick anymore. I don't need those pills. Self-righteousness and approaching the gospel and the Bible appears wrongly in a lot of different ways. We're desperate for a Savior. And the function of the law is not self-righteousness. The function of the law is desperation. To be desperate for a Savior to be desperate for a relationship with that Savior. You see on your handout, two wrong approaches to the gospel. I mean, Paul uses his own life here as an exhibit. Paul's own life he uses as an exhibit for two wrong ways. The a is the foolishness of self-righteousness. Paul in, in Philippians 3 had a long list. He says, he says, I myself, he says, Put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. 
And yet, when he met Christ, he realized he didn't measure up. Listen to what he says. But whatever things I had counted gain to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I would gain Christ to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The foolishness of self-righteousness, but also the, the foolishness of thinking that your sin is beyond the reach of God's grace. We, we don't have time to go there, but 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul says, A blasphemer, persecutor, violent aggressor, if you were to, if you were to go to Acts, Paul is on his way to crucify and kill and condemn Christians when God saved him. He was there cheering on Stephen's being, Stephen being stoned. The reality of what Paul says is this, Romans 5.20, Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The foolishness of coming thinking we can earn our way to God, but the foolishness of thinking that God can't forgive our sin. Whatever you've done, whatever you've sinned, 1 John, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul was a living example of that. And, and in verse 13, Paul says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent aggressor, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I, I want to, real quickly, I don't want us walking out of here with the wrong idea of what Paul is saying there thinking that somebody who isn't preached the gospel or, or this and that can be saved on their own. That's not what he's saying there. If you were to go back to Numbers 15, Leviticus 5, if a person knowingly, with a high hand, intentionally sinned, defiant, intentional sin, the law made no provision for that forgiveness. There was no sacrifice there. That person would be cut off from the people of God, Numbers 15 says. And, and Paul, Paul is saying, he, he is appealing to that, saying, I didn't do it with a high hand. I, I did what I thought was best at the time. And yet God confronted me with that. And, and if you were to go to Luke 23, 34, there's a hint of this when Jesus is dying on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, a, you see a, the bit of the ignorance there, the mercy. And I, I caution us with this. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they knew better. They knew better. And yet they turned. If you go to Second Peter talking about false teachers, it says the in whose case they had been enlightened and they turned, it says the second state has become worse for them than the first. They knew better. My, my caution with all that is this, to take sin seriously. Don't mistake God's patience for His approval. Romans 2.4, do not think lightly of His kindness and tolerance knowing that it leads you to repentance. We'll see later on in 1 Timothy that apostasy lead to a seared conscience. Sin no longer was what it was. I, I want you to, I, I want us to have a, a, sen, a sensitive heart to our sin. I want to read a quote. This is from Charles Spurgeon. I said I'm reading a, reading a, a biography of him. Charles Spurgeon wrote this in his diary when he was 15. 15. This is when he got saved, and this was his recognition of his sin. Listen to what he writes. A spiritual experience which is thoroughly flavored with a deep and bitter sense of sin is of great value to him who has had it. It is terrible in the drinking, but is most wholesome in the bowels and in the afterlife. Possibly, much of the flimsy piety of the present day arises from the ease with which men attain to peace and joy in these evangelistic days. Too many think lightly of sin, and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned, with the rope about his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned. 
to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by those whose blood he has been cleansed. Fifteen years old. Sense of his sin. Why, and, and here's why I say that. I think some of us would read where Paul says, I've handed these two over to Satan so they will not so be taught not to blaspheme. I think if you go to 1 Corinthians 5, Paul deals the same way with a man there who is having his, his father's wife. You go to Matthew 18, and it talks about dealing strongly with unrepentant sinners. Until we grasp the greatness of our sin, we'll diminish the gospel and we'll diminish the need to correct false teachers. And, and, and when, when, when men are dealt with severely in the Bible, excuse me, it'll seem out of place only until we have an accurate interpretation of sin. Only until we see, like Isaiah sees in Isaiah 6, he saw the, the Lord high and lifted up, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. I am an undone man of unclean lips. We ought to be a people that take sin seriously. And we ought to be a people that take the, 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 the treating of the gospel seriously. Why? Because that's our only hope. We have, we have been given much revelation through Jesus Christ. I think about Hebrews 2. For this reason, we must pay close attention to what we have seen and heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, talking about the Old Testament, he says, how much will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We have Christ on a cross. We have Christ resurrected. Don't neglect that salvation. If you were to go to Psalm 119, you see it as well. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Listen to what he says, the tendency. He says, How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to word? Listen, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. The great tendency for every single one of us in here, the, the great temptation is to wander. To overlook sin, to not deal with sin, to not help each other deal with sin, and we wonder. I pray that we would be a people, as you see on the handout, we must take our walk with Christ and each other's walks with Christ seriously. The gospel is our only hope. It ought to be precious to us, but we ought to protect it at all costs. And if you're a believer, the call is to live up to that salvation to which you've been called in the power of the Holy Spirit in you through the power of Christ's Word, richly, God's Word richly dwelling in you, Colossians 3.16. If you're not a believer, I pray that through this you'd see the depth of your sinfulness and you'd run to Christ alone for forgiveness.